Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Welcome back to Candid Conversation with our one and only guest today. Um, he is a special brother. He is a best-selling author. He's a speaker. Uh, he's a man with a passionate heart for the kingdom. I would like to welcome once again today, Frank Viola. Frank, welcome. Really honored to be on again, man. The last interview we did, uh, it was number 63 on the Insurgents podcast, and it was extremely popular. Lots of great responses. I attribute that to you, sir. Well, thank you. I received that um, when I was in fourth grade. I got my first C, and it was for conduct. And I was a well-behaved kid. I just could not stop talking. So <laughs> God's been developing that for a long time. Um, today, we've invited Frank, and uh, the topic at hand is four toxic anti-kingdom behaviors. And just in regards to uh, the book that we, are, we have been discussing, Frank, Insurgents Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, not only is it a disruptive book, the word that keeps coming to my mind, Frank, is upending. Like it upends. Like I'm getting the image of a, so many of the silly videos that you'll see on the internet when the little kid is running and, and, and trips over something or, you know, dad's running and the little kid comes and hits him in the leg and then dad ends up straight upside down and didn't even know it was coming. I think that's so powerful for modern Christianity on both sides of, of the debate that what you do is you come in with this book and with a, really your teachings with a third way that, that just, it doesn't gently like lay somebody over. It kind of, it, it's kind of like getting flipped out of a wheelbarrow. And so uh, I know that you're offering uh, some bonuses that I got when I pre-ordered the book uh, when it first came out. Um, but tell us a little bit about the insurgents uh, and tell us uh, about the, uh, the bonuses that are available and where we can get that. Insurgents is the term I use to describe those who have joined the move of God whereby the gospel of the kingdom is being restored on the planet again. And so those who are receiving that gospel, obeying that gospel, learning that gospel, living that gospel, spreading that gospel are part of the insurgents. We're re-offering what we offered in the beginning when the book was first published. It's three bonuses. They're all digital, but they're exclusive only to those who get the book. And so people can order the book anywhere. I mean, I think it's under $15, you know, anywhere you go, basically. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Christian Books, Books a Million, etc. You just get a copy of it, and then you could send an email to, I'm going to give the email address, Insurgents Bonus insurgentsbonus at gmail.com and within 10 minutes you'll receive a reply that will have the three bonuses if you don't see it check all your spam folders your junk folders your promotion folders <laughs> all the folders where all the valuable emails go into from time to time but uh yeah we want to offer that to your listeners as well awesome well thank you frank the last word i'll say on the insurgents you say that the generative power to live in this kingdom doesn't originate with us. That the power to actually bring to bear the kingdom of God is started and ended in God. 
to me, that's one of the things um, early in the book, even that we're responsible for co-laboring, for working with, for joining with a power that we didn't have to create. And I think that's where so much of the tiredness and the pain in that tribe, in both tribes, but especially in the legalistic tribe of religion um, comes from, is trying to do those things myself. That's right. Yeah, and that's one of the things that the gospel of the kingdom affords, and that is the power to, to actually live it, because humanly it's impossible. But the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus Christ indwelling us, God the Father himself, gives us that energy to live it out. And the beautiful thing about it is this kingdom, this glorious kingdom, is available to every single person. So that's what the insurgence is all about. Amen. All right, to the topic of the day. We have gathered here today to talk about four toxic anti-kingdom behaviors. There are things that are set against, that put us in opposition to the kingdom being formed. Frank, just tell me, if you will, what's the first one? What's the first toxic anti-kingdom behavior? I will say that there are many, many toxic anti-kingdom behaviors. This list is not Uh, exclusive or exhaustive. Yeah, no, it's not. But I do think in the days in which we're living right now, in the digital age, in the Google age, in the age of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, etc., these come to the fore, especially you know, in the days we're living in where life is very fast moving, uh, unless, of course, you're stuck in your home because of a pandemic. It might be slower. <laughs> but once that lifts, it's going to go back to very fast-paced living. These are four I want to highlight. So the first one that you asked about, it's this. It's attacking leaders you have never met, never spoken to, and do not personally know attacking leaders you have never met, never spoken to, and do not personally know. And by that, I mean calling Christian leaders who you don't know personally, calling them false teachers, calling them heretics, calling them the spawn of Satan, (laughs) the cousin of the Antichrist, uh, whatever it is. And I'll give you an example of this. You know, I have a blog, and every once in a while, I'll have a drive-by. Drive-by meaning, you know, these are not people who, you know, have read my work. These are not people who have read most of my blog articles or even half of them. But they just find a blog, and then all of a sudden, they will attack another Christian leader, either someone that I have mentioned on the blog or someone I have quoted. Mm. And they'll say, oh, did you know that so-and-so that you quoted is a false teacher and an instrument of the devil? (laughs) And of course, on my blog, those comments are never approved. But it just shows the toxicity that's in so much of modern-day Christianity to just come on someone else's blog, which is sort of their their home base. Yeah, it's front lawn at least. (laughs) Yeah, and spew venom against another Christian. And, you know, here, here's the irony of this whole thing. Number one, just because an author quotes someone else doesn't mean that that author agrees with everything that the person they're quoting has said, done, believed. Yes. You know, Paul Tarsus quoted non-Christians, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he quoted heathen poets. That doesn't mean that Paul was endorsing the person he was quoting, you know? So that that right there is just silly. But the second thing is, most of the time, when a Christian leader is mentioned, 
and someone comes around and says they're a false teacher, in virtually every case, I would say probably 98% of the cases I have seen, that Christian leader is not a false teacher. They're not a heretic. They just disagree over some interpretations of the Bible with the person that's attacking them. Yeah. You see? Yeah. And many times what's happened is someone out there that has a keyboard and a website has written a blog post on a hate site or a quote-unquote discernment site just trashing the individual and misinterpreting them, taking them out of context. These people who attack these Christian leaders, they've never gone to them in person, which Jesus commanded us to do if you have a problem with somebody, or you have a question, or you have a concern, to go to that person. That's exactly what all of us would want to do, right? If it was us being attacked, we'd want the person to talk to us. And in most cases, their words are taken out of context, twisted, misinterpreted, and then they're called all sorts of names. And the sad thing is that some of God's people actually believe this stuff and won't even think to say, you know what, I've never talked to this person, I've never gone to them, I've never read an entire book, and then if I was concerned about something, wrote them in. And even if you disagree with them on some points, gosh, Chris, I mean, I'm sure if you and I talked for several hours, we'd find lots of disagreement as well as lots of agreement. But then to turn around and say, well, Chris is a heretic because he believes this about the second coming of Christ, and I believe this other thing, is just not only is it ludicrous, it is toxic, and it is anti-kingdom of God. It grieves the spirit of Jesus Christ, plain and simple. Yes, Frank, it's one of the things that, that just kind of clicked for me as you were sharing that. I try to trace things to the origins as I can at least see them through my lens. The gospel of legalism being so focused on being right. And, and there's, you know, 8 billion definitions of what right is. But the gospel that starts with God's holy, you're not, you better get this thing right. At least, don't you think part of what gives birth to that? Because you're, you're my, there are whole, in, there's a whole industry of uh, believers who make their living or started their nonprofit. There's an entire industry of determining who's, who, who is and who is not right. And then people buy into, I mean, it's the sub, these, the sub genre of, of a sub genre here. Um, but if they don't agree with this tight little area, um, I think that a lot of that was birthed out of this misunderstanding of the kingdom, that it was somehow about getting, getting it right or right behavior. Agree, disagree? What do you think? That's dead on. In fact, Jesus had things to say about that very spirit. You know, you remember when the disciples were up in arms because someone else was casting out demons, and Jesus said, you know, if they're not against me, they're for me. And and then another time, you know, James and John wanted to rain fire down <laughs> upon a city. And the Lord said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Jude is interesting. It's an interesting book. And I covered that in an episode with my conversation partner on the Insurgents podcast, number 60, Contending for the Faith. And that word has been totally hijacked and reinterpreted to mean something it did not mean when Jude was writing. But in his letter, Jude writes scathingly about false teachers. And let me just tell you something. False teachers are not real Christians. They don't know Jesus. They are wicked, evil people, all right? 
Well, that's how the New Testament describes them. And most of the people who are called false teachers today, they're not false teachers. They may be off doctrinally, but guess what? Every single person who has influenced church history, you name the person, John Wesley, John Calvin, D.L. Moody, C.S. Lewis, Billy Graham, you name every single one of them, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, all of them, all of them had some areas in their belief system that was off biblically. And I wrote a whole book about this, Chris. It's called Regrace, What the Shocking Beliefs of the Great Christians Can Teach Us Today. And the point of that book is not to say, oh, look how these guys missed it in these areas. That's not the point. The point is the opposite. The point is none of them, even though they were all men of God, even though they all were greatly used by the Lord, none of them had immaculate perception. None of them saw everything perfect. And if that's the case, then how much more should we extend grace to other believers? I mean, Chris, I don't see everything perfectly. You don't see everything perfectly. And the people who are right now criticizing you and me or whoever else, they don't see everything perfectly either. And Jesus said some bone-chilling words about judging others, because he basically said the same standard you use to judge other people, that's how you're going to be judged at the last day. You're going to be judged by the same stick that you use to judge other people. So if I judge other people based on hearsay, based on out-of-context quotes being peddled on social media or a blog, if I judge people because, well, they don't see this particular scripture the way I see it, then guess what? I'm in trouble on Judgment Day. (laughs) Okay. But getting back to Jude, when Jude describes what false teachers are, he points out that one of the things that grieves the Lord is a fault-finding spirit. He names them fault-finders. Okay. Well, that ought to cause all of us to hit the brakes here, because there is something in Christianity that has been carried over from basically carried over from fundamentalism, and and I'll just do a quick riff on that very quickly because you talked about the origins, where does this come from. Fundamentalism used to be actually the largest part of the evangelical movement. Now, I'm theologically conservative, all right? I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe it's totally reliable. It's authoritative. I believe that God is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. I believe the deity of Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus was born of a virgin, a real virgin, not just a young girl. <laughs> I believe in the fall of Adam. I'm theologically conservative, okay? But I'm not a fundamentalist. And fundamentalism was born in Ireland many, many years ago, around the 1830s, under a man named John Nelson Darby. And it moved to Plymouth, England, under his leadership. And basically, fundamentalism, it carries a spirit, Chris. And that spirit is extremely cruel. It's very cold, and it's vicious. And it traffics in intolerance of any viewpoint other than its own. And it also traffics in guilt by association. Yes. It's filled with accusations of heresy. Let me give you an example. If you and I are having a conversation and you say, well, I believe Jesus Christ is going to come back within our lifetime 
and it's going to be before something called the Great Tribulation, and he's going to rapture his own, and then there's going to be seven years of tribulation, and then he's going to return to the world and set up his kingdom, and there's going to be a literal thousand-year millennial reign. And I say to you, well, you know, I don't really have that view. I think there's only one coming of Christ. Uh, he's coming back one time. It's not going to be this two-part thing. And the seven-year tribulation, so-called, that's something that was already fulfilled. And this business about a millennium, I believe that that was spiritual. The thousand years was spiritual, like many of the church fathers did. Let's just say we have that discussion. Well, somebody can say to me, well, Frank, because Chris believes this and this and this, he's a heretic. And the fact that you went on his show, that means that you're a heretic too. Yep. Okay? That is the spirit of fundamentalism. It's guilt by association. And it is anti-Holy Spirit. It is anti-Jesus Christ. It is a stench in the nostrils of God. And it does not bear the marks of our Lord. And I'll tell you what, it is one of the most grievous things. And it carries the spirit and attitude of the Pharisee. And those were the people, Chris, that Jesus Christ had the most anger toward and the most trouble with. It was those pharisaical people who were judging everybody else when they themselves were more wicked inside mm. than the people to whom they were pointing their fingers. And what, a, and what a prison that is to live in. I mean, again, there are parts of my tribe that that's, that's what we grew up in some form of. It is a prison, and I, I believe that it grieves the Holy Spirit. In, in more ways than like, not just angers him, but it grieves him in such a way because his people are in bondage. And that is not what God designed us for. He designed us for free mobility to co-work with him to help bring the kingdom to bear in this world and for eternity. It, it's, it's sad. Yeah, amen. That's, that's, this is a good rabbit trail. <laughs> this is, this is, this is really <laughs> the, because this gets to the heart of what you really, I mean, this is your heart. Your, your heart is the kingdom. And that your passion is that people not only understand this, but then join the insurgents, that join the kingdom in a way that, that one, they're not, we didn't put undue burdens on their back, on their neck, um, as, um, you know, has been said, nor is there some sort of, you call it libertinism, is there some sort of freedom that, that just says, you know, abuse, abuse this in such a way that you know, send more that grace will increase. Well, that's, that's, Paul says that's just stupid. We wouldn't do that. But grace is for, is for the kingdom. Grace is not for stupidity. Well, that's right. And the grace of God also teaches us to deny ungodliness. And I'm yes. quoting Paul to Titus. But the problem is that Christians, many of them tend to pick which sins are ungodly and which aren't, right? And it's usually, right. well, these sins are, you know, they're at the top of the list, and these other ones here, of course, the ones that they may be <laughs> living in or blind to, well, you know, the Lord doesn't really pay attention to those. And that's not the case. And in fact, if you look at what angered Jesus the most, it was not those immoral people that he was hanging out with. It was the Pharisees who were so religious these were the people who made themselves the moral custodians of God's law, and yet they were the ones that were breaking the spirit of it left and right. If your listeners are interested in any of this, because there's so much more, we can burn up three hours easily, but they can actually get the first part of the book, Regrace, 
uh, for free, and I had a knockdown drag out with my publisher to make them available because they always like to make the first chapter free, yes. and that's it. And I said, no, I want the first part of the book to be free. So if people go to frankviola.org forward slash regrace, that's one word, R-E, and then grace, regrace, they can download a large segment of the book. And the other thing is we've done three episodes on this whole topic, answering questions like, well, what is a false teacher? What do you do if you come across a Christian, whether they're a leader or not, who is writing something or saying something that you disagree with doctrinally? How do you handle that? You know, do you just let it go or or do you react to it? And how should we react to it? What exactly is heresy and what is a heretic according to the New Testament? So people can um, listen to the Insurgents podcast, these three episodes, Chris, number 11, Episode 11 is The Mark of a True Disciple, False Teachers, Heresy, and Jesus' Humor. Talks about the Lord's humor. Number 40, Christian Unity and the Kingdom. What is unity? What are the essentials of the faith, for example? And then number 60 is Contending for the Faith, which is a reference that comes out in Jude. So if people want to go deeper into this and and kind of look at it from a biblical perspective that may be uh, different from what they've heard, they can check out those three episodes, and they can also download the first part of the book, Regrace. The thing that I, I remember when you first started writing um, a couple of blog posts about this as you were testing out some of these for, I, I, th- I think they were published on another site, not on your site. And, and it was. Some of, the, some of the beliefs, I think I read the John Wesley one first, some of the beliefs, I was just, mm-hmm. I was blown away. And yet here's, here's a man of God, here's a person of God who had a great influence on the kingdom and... Man, I'm telling you, modern-day fundamentalism would have thrown him out with the bathwater. <laughs> they would have thrown them all out, actually. And even the beloved John Calvin. Yes. Which is ironic, Chris, because some, I use the word some, some diehard followers of John Calvin are very fundamentalist in their mindset. And many of them are very intolerant of anyone's views if they depart from Calvinism. But if you look at what Calvin believed in some areas of his life, intellectual honesty would have to provoke one to stop and say, wait a minute, I am being way too narrow, way too harsh, way too intolerant. You know, I need to extend some grace to other people just as I want them to extend grace to me when we come into a difference of opinion over theology, doctrine, or even politics. That's good. All right, well, let's, let's move on. We've got more to cover, so um, what are, what's the next? Well, I think we're, on, I think we're just now on number two here. What's, what's, what's another anti-kingdom behavior, a toxic anti-kingdom behavior um, that we need to address? Yeah. Well, I think this one is big in our time because we have the emergence of social media, and that is using our social media platforms to quarrel, argue, fight, engage in strife, okay? Mm. And this is not just with people who are non-believers, but within the family of God, with fellow Christians. You know, Second Timothy 224 Paul said the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome mm. must not be given to strife but must be gentle able to teach James 4:1 where does fighting and quarreling come from and he answers the question and it's surprising it comes from your fleshly desires wow so anytime there's strife contention arguing quarreling. What's at the bottom of that is fleshly pride. Through pride comes contention. 
proverb says. I addressed this in many places, well, not only in Regrace, but in episode 53 of the Insurgents podcast, people can check it out, Transcending the Political Bloodbath. And boy, I took dead aim at this whole thing. Because what we see is Christian people acting no different than the world. See, the world is at one another's throats when it comes to politics. You take the conservatives and the liberals, right? The Democrats, the Republicans, and there's just massive bloodletting, you know, going on constantly on Facebook, people hyperventilating on Twitter because of disagreements. And then you see this bleed into the Christian family, where the Christian family, those who profess to know Christ, are taking their cues from the world, and they're at one another's throats also. It is just sickening, and it's toxic. And there are ways to have conversations, Chris, that are in Christ and that honor God. But most of what we see on social media, even among professing Christians, is very toxic and anti-kingdom. And instead of talking about the kingdom of God and the gospel of the kingdom and encouraging one another in that vein, and also presenting the kingdom to a lost world, Christians are basically drawing their swords against one another. And that's what the world sees, and they, by and large, don't see any difference between people who call themselves Christians and people who are steeped in sin in the world. There's just really very little difference. I'm calling it in its face, brother. (laughs) Yes. I'm addressing it because it is toxic and it's anti-kingdom. Well, it is toxic, it's anti-kingdom, and again, I I think the the generative power, the, the origins of that come because we're not... In the two Gospels that you mentioned that are at war, they're ultimately not, they're not plugged into the power source. They're imitating or acting out a certain philosophy or, or belief system, but they're really not plugged into the power source. And so our attitudes, our hearts, the, the true transformation is not happening because we're like in the, in the first, in the, in the legalistic track, in the legalistic camp, you're basically told, you said, something to the effect of try harder than you're actually able to accomplish. Really try hard, but you're not going to be able to do it. And in the other, it's kind of do what you want. Neither of those, neither of those are tapped into actually the thing that, that feeds, transforms, and, and reorients our heart to the gospel of the kingdom. So we're missing the very power. And so it's natural that this would be a, an anti-kingdom behavior because we're not in those camps, we're not plugged into the origin. And I'm not saying that they're, they're not going to spend eternity with Christ. I'm saying that they're simply living, hey, there's the plug-in. I, I could be inches away, but I, I'm just not going to plug in. I'm going to do this myself. Then we act like the world because that's what the, we plug into those things. And, you know, there's good news here. And that is, if any of these four toxic behaviors resonate with anybody in terms of getting personal, like, hey, I'm guilty of this, right? The good news is, instead of being defensive, instead of justifying your behavior, why not take a few steps back and say, you know what, maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, and maybe I have an opportunity here to make a change in my life, and maybe I need to look at this a bit closer. Maybe there actually is something here of the Lord. Maybe the Lord is speaking through these two gentlemen about an issue that I have to deal with, that God wants me to look at and not turn away from. That's what I would recommend, because i got to tell you, every single one of these things that I'm going to address, and the third one hits home to me because it was a discovery I made about myself, but every single one of these, look, all of us are not immune to any of it. 
and it is pervasive in the Christian family. And the only reason why I'm even talking about it, else I would feel I'm wasting my breath, is because I do believe that there are people who are listening to this, either through your show or through the Insurgents podcast, that God wants to speak a word to for change. Yes. Not for defensiveness, not for justification, not to rationalize the behavior away, but the Spirit is zeroing in on something in people's hearts because He wants to transform it. And that's the only reason why I'm even caring to talk about this or taking the time to do it. Well, that's good because the the phrase that keeps coming to my mind is because it is available, and this is the root word, but it's to avail yourself of it. It, it, It's it's simply to to receive it. And so, oh, this is the way of the kingdom. Yes. Like, I I don't, there's certainly work to do, but the work is on the back end of the revelation of, of what God is doing, and he provides the power to do it. So, if this pricks your heart, if this upsets your apple cart, if this hits you in a place where you begin to become defensive, I would say avail yourself of, uh, of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom and, and simply see, allow this, uh, search me, O oh God, see if there's any offensive way in me. Let that light turn inward um, and simply grab hold of, of a deeper truth. So let's, let's, keep, let's keep it going. Um, what's, what's the next toxic anti-kingdom behavior? Yeah, number three would be anxiety. This one hits close to home because the Lord put me through a situation where my eyes were open to see that I had a real issue with anxiety that I was utterly blind to, Chris. Mm. And so it was one of those moments where the Holy Spirit just removed the blinders. I got to see it very clearly. And most importantly, I was able to deal with it with the aid of the Holy Spirit and be free from it. And I tell you what, it's made a remarkable change in my life. And the scripture teaches us never to be anxious. You know, we have 1 Peter 5, 7, we have Psalm 55, 22, we have Philippians 4, 6 to 7. But with things like anxiety, sometimes there are roots that go really deep. The result of our genetics, the result of our upbringing, maybe there was fear that was instilled in us because of the way we were brought up, for example. And as a consequence, a lot of people have what's called GAD and don't even know it. GAD is General Anxiety Disorder. The good news is that that can be treated, that can be healed, and a person can live completely free of anxiety. And I am writing a book right now as we speak here in the spring of 2020, and God willing, it'll come out in 2021, but it's going to go into this and a lot more on the discoveries that I made on how to dig out those roots and be free from anxiety. But it is a big one, and people can kind of um, go a little bit deeper into this if they want to. The Insurgents podcast, once again, episode 42, Chris, we did an episode called Worry, Hurry, Anxiety, and Kingdom Living. And I would encourage people to listen to that. And then there's also, on the podcast, there's three episodes we did as a series, Practical Lessons in Kingdom Living, Part 1, 2, and 3. And people can listen to that, too. That's good, Frank. Um, Help me out with this a little bit, um, because as you, I just, again, from my side of of my growing up, the... I can hear the legalistic group already turning that that history can turn what you just said into condemnation for those who are suffering from anxiety. And what you're actually talking about is a freedom from from that. Not being guilty about it, but being freed from it. Yes. And so that there is that that God's path really is that you can be whole. For me, it changed with Matthew 6. The end of Matthew 6, I think, speaks to this. I had always heard verses like you mentioned in the end of Matthew 6 
when it says, don't worry, don't worry about tomorrow. Doesn't God love you more than these birds? Doesn't God love you more than these flowers? You know, who can add a single hour to his life or one version, you know, an inch to his height by worrying every day has enough trouble of its own. I'd heard those in this commanding, um, God was the big, as my friend Doug says, the big hairy thunderer. Um, <laughs> and then, then God took me back to those and gave me an image of my grandfather, uh, my mom's dad, pointing to his pond in the backyard. And this instructive, kind tone, doesn't God love you more than those weeds out there, son? Doesn't God love you more than those silly ducks on the pond? And then I had the image of you and me or any friend going to dinner. And if somebody grabs the check, and not out of pride, but out of kindness, and somebody says, if I say, Frank, don't worry about this. What I'm saying is you don't have need to worry about this. Like, there's, no, there's no reason for you to have to worry about this. I've got this covered. I'm not saying it's an offense to our friendship. I'm not saying, I'm not commanding you not to worry. It is a spoken provision. When Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. You don't have any need to be anxious. Not as a condemnation, but a, there is freedom in Christ for all things. Um, and I don't want to speak for you. So just if you would, if you would rebut or reply to that, I'd be, I'd be thankful. Well, the only real reply I have to it, aside from I agree with what you said, is, man, going out to dinner, Chris, you and I, those were the days. Those were the <laughs> days when we could go out to dinner <laughs> at a restaurant. I don't care who pays the check. I want to go out to dinner. But yeah, we're stuck in our houses here. Or we, need to go back to, we need to go back to Denny's or something. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> See, now you got me thinking about the Oreo milkshake. Oh, my goodness. Uh, oh, Denny's Oreo milkshake. Folks, you haven't lived until you have gotten a Denny's Oreo milkshake. So hopefully that uh, place won't close down just for that reason. Lord willing, we'll get to do that in October. That's right, Lord willing. There is something here that kind of runs deeper in this issue of anxiety. Because, mm -hmm. you know, for years I had read those passages, Matthew 6, don't give thought to tomorrow for tomorrow take care of itself and so on. And just the things you're sharing and, and the passages I read, but there was something that was unhealed, right? Mm, that went yes. deep down from the past that made it virtually impossible for me to flesh out those scriptures just on the surface. That's what I'm trying to aim at is that for some of us, it is just a matter of applying what God has said for others, it's a matter of taking a look at things we had gone through in the past that gets at the root of fear, and yes. that gave the enemy a stronghold, either through brain chemistry or through cultural upbringing where it's so ingrained. Either way, the Lord can change the wiring in our brains. And I do think that a lot of this comes down to, and boy, we could spend hours talking about each one, but one is truly our portrait of God the Father, which you were hitting at. The second one is how much do we love our life? Because mm. very often when we are engaged in anxiety, there's something that's so important to us. We're in effect loving our life instead of letting our life go and say, you know what? I can let my life go. It doesn't matter. Whatever the Lord wants to do. Now, that's not being careless where we're indifferent and apathetic, although it looks like that. It's being carefree. 
Yeah. And there's a difference. And boy, it is freeing to be carefree. The more you want something, the more anxious you're going to be about it. Whether it is just an experience that's that's misinterpreted somewhere in childhood or in, in our early life, or it is a deep flaming arrow from the evil one. I mean, it, it, all of these things boil down to some, some type of spiritual warfare, whether it was circumstantial, physical, or chemical our brains actually can be rewired like through experience and through those things. And then of course, not denying the healing, the immediate healing of God that's also available. Sometimes it is a a transformative process. And I know that you're at least, you know, my age and maybe younger than Johnny Depp. Isn't that what we say? (laughs) Yeah, that's my line. I'm younger than Johnny Depp and I always will be younger than Johnny Depp. (laughs) That's one of my favorite jokes that you have. Not that it's not true. If anybody has any questions, certainly check out those podcasts about that. The thing I love, Frank, is from the very beginning, uh, my friend Steven said, man, this Frank Viola guy, man, I sent him a message on Facebook and he, he messaged me back. Like, you know, the guy who wrote that book, you know, and I'm like, cool. All right. So I just read that book. I'm going to message Frank. You, you always respond well to legitimate inquiries. And I really appreciate that. Let's move into the next one, uh, number four, uh, the toxic anti-kingdom behaviors. This will be the last one. And let me just uh, add one more point about overcoming anxiety. Because I talked about a three-pronged approach to it. One is our view of the Father. The other is how much we love our life. And then the third one would be actually how we see ourselves in terms of what we want to become. And there's a very powerful tool that's in the arsenal of the Christian. We are in Christ, and what is said about Jesus is true of us from that particular standpoint. You know, you're holy in Christ, you're righteous in Christ, etc., etc. If you read all of the passages that Paul states in the New Testament about what we are in Christ, you can come up with a pretty robust list of how the Father sees us in His Son. But tagging off of that, We can make our own portrait of how we want to be, you know. For example, I want to be a man who is incapable of being frazzled, incapable of being moved by fear, incapable of being ruffled. And see, that's the way Jesus was. You know, Jesus had tremendous peace and contentment in his heart. Nothing can move him. Nothing can move. I mean, he could sleep in a boat when there's a storm raging and the disciples think they're going to die, right? That's how free from anxiety he was. And there is something that can be done for the believer when we recognize who we are in Christ and then we say, I want to be that man. I want to be that woman. I am going to, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the aid of God Almighty, I'm going to be a person free from anxiety. So those three things together, Chris, are a powerful cocktail, our portrait of God the Father and how he is, in fact, loving and caring. So we can cast our care upon him for he does care for us, you know, really getting a hold of that in a way that just transcends our mind, but gets into our heart and then not loving our life. And then the third one is having a view of ourself to become what we already are in Christ. I love the way you said that. Uh, Which is really a good definition of Christian growth. It's becoming what you already are in Christ. Having said that, this is the fourth toxic anti-kingdom behavior, and that is 
judging the motives of other people. Judging the motives of other people, okay? Let me explain what this looks like. It is the imputing of evil motives to another person's heart. So, for example, the reason why Chris Rowe is having these candid conversations is because he is obsessed with himself and he's proud and he wants to get attention. Okay, that is a judgment of your motive. That's good. That is an imputing of an evil motive to your heart. And number one, it is a sin that is condemned in the Bible, number one. Number two, what's really happening, Chris, when somebody does that, when they begin to judge the motives of another person, all they're doing is revealing what's in their own hearts. Yeah, that's hard, but it's very true. Well, they're projecting what's in them onto you. Okay, and Jesus actually brought this out when he used the illustration in Matthew 7 of judge not lest you be judged. You know, he said, how can you, you who see the speck in your brother's eye, you know, want to help him when you yourself have a two by four in your own eye, right? Yeah, you're walking and, around with and, a telephone pole sticking out of your own eye. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so the lesson there is that those who judge the motives of others are simply betraying what's in their own hearts. So in other words, Jesus was pointing out that those who have defective eyesight are too willing to perform eye surgery on others. And yet his assessment was the person that sees the piece of sawdust in our brother or our sister's eye, that piece of sawdust is simply a chip off the two by four that lies within our own eye. Amen. Right? Yeah. Yes. And that piece of wood distorts our vision. So if somebody says, well, you know, Chris Rowe is full of pride, or Chris Rowe is greedy, or Chris Rowe is doing it for this, or because of that, or blah, 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 or they say that about any Christian, they are engaging in the sin of imputing evil motives to another person's heart. And that is contrary to Christ, and it is contrary to love, because in 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul describes to us what love is, love thinks no evil. It does not think the worst. It always thinks the best. Titus 1.15, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In other words, the way that a person whose heart is corrupt views the world and others, they view it through the filter of their own defilement. And so everybody else is defiled. And they're not in touch with that. You know, the prideful person who accuses other people of being proud, they're not in touch with their own pride. It's one thing to see that a behavior itself is unhealthy, sinful, unhelpful, hurtful. It's a whole other thing. To, it's, a, it's a whole additional, a whole other thing, the very Southern phrase there. It's a whole additional thing to, to go, uh, and this is why they're doing it. I think that's what Jesus yeah. was talking about in Matthew yeah. 7. The motives of someone's heart, that same thing's going to be used against us. And boy, whew, that's a pretty heavy load. Yeah, it's perfectly fine to make an assessment on a person's actions. But it is sinful, and it is wrong, and it is misguided to judge their intentions, to impute motivations to their heart. And one of the reasons for that is not only because we engage in projection when we do it unwittingly, betraying what's in our own hearts, but the other thing is it contradicts love. Right. Love always thinks the best of others. Hey, I mean, just think about it. How do you want to be treated? You want people never to second guess your motives. You want people to think the best of you, right? Yeah. So someone was supposed to call you at two o'clock 
and they never did. And so now the fallen mind kicks in. Well, they didn't call me because they don't like me. They didn't call me because they're selfish. They didn't call me out of uh, spite. Well, you know, maybe, maybe right. they forgot. Maybe yeah. they got a phone call that their mother was uh, rushed to the hospital. Okay. I mean, think the best. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what Jesus taught? Do unto others what you want them to do to you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And the other thing, too, is we do not have the capacity to see into the motives of another heart. That is only reserved for the Lord Jesus Christ, who can see into the heart and can see the motives. We as human beings cannot see into the hearts of another person. I don't care how smart you are, how much discernment you think you have, you cannot do it. I cannot do it. And it is forbidden for us to do. And it is toxic and anti-kingdom. And it is a relationship destroyer. It is. And it's, I mean, it, it's, it's almost, and let me see if I can make this, if I can bring all this together in my own mind here. It's, it's idolatrous. It's worshiping our own judgment. People, I think we get upset with, with the word judgment a lot of times in today's society because we feel like it's harsh. But the truth is, if, if God is just, if God is right, if God is holy, and, but he's also, it is his kindness that leads to repentance. He's the most loving being to ever exist. Then judgment is actually setting things right. And if love is at the center of that, then setting things right is rooted in the love of God, which makes him up, makes up the triune God. God is love. And so judgment is, these scales are unbalanced. I will set them back right. The first being last, the last being first. It's really a recalibration. And so when we attempt to judge the, the heart, that when we to judge the motives of others, we are saying, God will not judge rightly. It is my job to set things right according to my scales. And now I have assumed or my, my broken sinful nature has now assumed the throne and I'm worshiping it because I'm trying to set them right according to my standard, not God's. Does that make sense? No, I agree with that. That's great. Wow. Frank, this is, this is great. Um, Frank, I'm always, um, I'm, again, I'm, I'm just blown away by what God has done with our friendship. I'm blown away by that. There's so much um, of your work that folks could dig through. I joked last time, you know, there must be more. I pulled out my, I, I, it's right here. It's right here under my desk. I'm, <laughs> it weighs like 8,000 pounds. Um, I just couldn't not have it, Frank. I just, I just wanted, it's, it's, you know, some of the musings and drawings and deep thoughts that didn't make it into some other books. No doodles or comic strips in there. It's, it's all meat. Um, but, but I love and appreciate your work. I appreciate your willingness to partner with me in this. I love our conversations uh, and I'm thankful for your presence in the kingdom uh, and for you offering yourself so willingly. This is um, uh, the chance where we'll give folks one more reminder where they can find um, your works. You can certainly find them at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, the Deeper Christian Life Network, which we didn't mention this time, but we have before. It is a valuable tool. If you're asking the question, is there more? And are there people who would share in that same question search and certainly looking for um, connection around that? Uh, the Deeper Christian Life Network, it is uh, an inexpensive subscription-based community. You don't get the social media arguing, but you do get contending. You do get iron sharpening iron, um, but mostly you get support, connection, and um, really great information there. Uh, Frank, what, what else am I missing there if somebody wants to avail themselves of your work? 
Yeah, I think if they just go to frankviola.org, they'll see it all there. They're either in the banners or on the top menu. If you're using a phone, of course, to pull up menus, you have to click on those squiggly lines. And anybody who subscribes, Chris, they will hear from me every Thursday. I write a new article, unfiltered article, to my email list. Frank, again, it's just been such a joy to have you here this morning. And I uh, look forward to, uh, to the continuing friendship and connections that, uh, that God's provided. Thank you. All right, brother. Well, stay safe and stay away from Grandma and Grandpa. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it. 